Hello and welcome to the 361 Degrees podcast. My name is Ben Smith. Who are you? I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Rafe Blanford. And, uh, well, I suppose before we kick off, this is episode one, so we ought to say uh, where we're from, what we're doing. My, I am from Wireless Worker and a number of other places, and uh, we've agreed sort of every kind of week or so we're going to get together with some other luminaries from the mobile industry. So, uh, Ewan, introduce yourself properly. You flatterer, Mr. <laughs> Smith. I, I'm uh, Ewan McLeod. I'm editor of Mobile Industry Review, and like Ben says, a few other things, Mobile Developer TV and uh, the application review and so on. And Rafi McBlanford, uh, as if anyone in the world wouldn't know what you do, but just explain for if anybody's been living in a cave for the last few years. Well, he's continuing his flattering ways, but yes, I'm the editor of All About Simbi and a few other bits and pieces, so I mainly write about Nokia with a sort of side interest in all the other smartphone platforms as well. And, I mean, the three of us have been working together now for a while, and we thought what we ought to do is bestow upon the world a podcast so amazing it spans the breadth of our three sites, or, or more importantly, what it'd be nice to do would be to sort of take our kind of shared interests and sort of just actually go a little bit further. So each one of us would be sort of uh, talking about and covering some stuff that our own sites wouldn't necessarily always do. Uh, this is episode one. We've already got a couple of episodes in the bag, as it were. And, in fact, actually, they've all been rec- already been recorded, so you can listen to those. In a, in a week or so and you can hear us talking about how we haven't named or branded the podcast yet which of course is not true so anyway uh, this week's topic of conversation is how smartphones are evolving to become these multi-purpose devices that um, actually can replace a load of other devices and Rafe um, Nokia and for example their camera phones are a prime example of this aren't they that you know that they produce some things that easily blow point-and-shoot cameras out of the water. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think this trend of convergence in smartphones has been talked about for a long time. But looking at you know some of the specific areas you mentioned in cameras there with Nokia, there's a you know a trend to specialise as well. So you know you started with something like the N82, which I think was at the time acknowledged as the best camera phone, and they followed that up with the N86, and of course most recently the N8 with its 12 megapixel camera and it's not necessarily about the megapixels it's the sort of the sensors that go with it and the aperture and all the other bits and pieces so the result is that you've actually got a smartphone which is able to outshoot you know most of the cheaper at least point and shoot cameras and Ewan, um, I mean, a sniggering about Nokia and Symbian sort of failings, and we'll talk about, you know, what's going to happen with Microsoft perhaps in another podcast. Um, you know, those cameras are bloody good, aren't they? Well, there's a, there's a reason that I, I still take my N86, my Nokia N86, uh, when I want really good pictures, um, when I, t- I take that with me. I have got the N8 now, but I still like the N86 just because the, the, the picture quality is so much better than oh. anything else. And what about, I mean, apart from laughing at you for carrying around this prehistoric handset, which is, <laughs> if, 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 if friends to all James Watley's to be believed, break at the moment you look at them, because they're, they're partly made of glass, I think, aren't they? Um, what, el- what else, other than camera phones? Because that's kind of old news, isn't it? I mean, mm. loads of people are doing camera phones, and I mean, all right, we're, we're not particularly um, sort of a Nokia fanboys here, Rafe aside, of course, but, you know, Sony Ericsson, <laughs> have, done, <laughs> Sony Ericsson have done some nice camera devices as well, as, as have one or two others, although perhaps, you know, well, less successfully on size. But what else um, could well, can be Can I replaced? make a, um, yeah, a point about um, uh, music? I think that there's an analyst I spoke to uh, quite a while ago who was telling me that um, the the high command at Apple were really really concerned about Nokia 
becoming uh, very quickly the world's largest ma manufacturer of music devices. Now, I didn't really enjoy the MP3 music experience on a Nokia uh, compared to, say, an iPhone or the like, but um, yeah, this was true. Nokia was, they, they did camera phones and, and, and killed that market by putting cameras in every single handset. And then they also did the same with music. Isn't that right, Rafe? Yeah, I mean, they still are the biggest MP3 player. I think the one thing we have to be careful here is differentiate between whether it's capable of doing something and whether people actually do use it for that. Yes. And yes. I think, as you say there, the so iTunes ecosystem experience on the iPhone is probably superior to something you get anywhere else. But I think the company that really innovated music on the phones was Sony Ericsson. You know, and uh, to one point, it was almost, I'm a musician, therefore I own a Sony Ericsson phone. Um, particularly with the Walkman range, but also with their generic handsets as well. And that almost preceded, you know, the camera phones getting really good, I think. And what was what was so good about those Sony handsets, Rafe? Because I think that's a, a bit before I sort of discovered Sony Ericsson, I was, I was still sort of buying all these kind of wonky Panasonic devices, I think, back then. Well, as with a, a lot of things, I think a lot of it was just in the marketing, um, particularly with the Walkman brand. But you know, they, they released the advertising that was aspirational, but clearly there were also some good things they did in terms of using the quality of the dig digital signal processing chip, so the audio quality was pretty good. And they were um, amongst the first to try out 3.5 millimeter audio jacks, although they had a sort of bit of a relapse in some case and went back to sort of the proprietary Sony Ericsson technology, but they did generally let, your, let you use your own uh, headset with it. And I think that was one of the important distinguishing marks. Strange how all that stuff's become sort of pretty much routine now, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that's what happens with convergence. So, you know, eventually you get to the point where people just expect to have it in the handset anyway. And so you always have to look at the kind of the cutting edge to see the most recent addition. Although I guess we'll get onto this later, but there does seem to be something slightly different happening now. Okay, so um, we sort of talked about uh, music, we talked about cameras. Um, gaming was the one that I wanted to talk about in this podcast because I went off to um, Sony Ericsson's launch event of the Xperia Play. Um, Rafe, just quickly uh, explain to us, um, you know, sort of what's unique about the Xperia Play in, in, in terms of a smartphone. Well, the Sony Ericsson Play is just a standard Android handset in one sense, but what it has on board is effectively an emulator for playing PlayStation games. And so this is the long-fabled, long-talked-about playstation phone and that's kind of the unique selling point of it you'll be able to play back some of the uh, sony playstation games on it and that kind of turns it into the gaming handset that you're talking about and that allows me to segue beautifully into uh, an interview i spoke quickly to dom from sony ericsson at the uh, launch party it is very very noisy so bear with us but uh, he just talked me through uh, the device and its capabilities Xperia Play is the world's first PlayStation certified smartphone, so it combines all the benefits of a full Android 2.3 gingerbread device, uh, along with obviously the, the power of Sony and the, the PlayStation branding. So one of the first really cool things is a processor, it's a one gig processor. Uh, you've also got a separate graphics processor, which is a, an Adreno 205 GPU. And what that means is it will deliver your games at 60 frames a second to give you a really, really smooth, uninterrupted gaming experience. So your phone side of it, you've got things like your 5 meg camera, record video in 720p high definition, uh, and then of course the gaming, you've got a full PlayStation pad, complete with analog touch pads as well as triggers on the back. So uh, Dom was obviously you know talking tech specs, but um, you and those you know all all those features are quite high spec, aren't they? But they're really majoring on this as almost being games first, phone second, aren't they? 
Well, absolutely. And the, 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 the question is how the, the end user perceives it. And actually, I do think they're going to perceive it and are perceiving it very nicely. I've seen one or two of these being used on the train, uh, on the tube, which is, that's my really, my good proving ground. So when I'm walking up and down uh, the high streets of London, get into the tube and people bring out their phones and start playing with them. And I've seen a few guys proudly displaying their Xperia Play and playing away some really cool games. It looks excellent when you're looking over people's shoulders. Yeah, and uh, being the being the celebrity ite that I am, I I bumped into Dom Jolly at the um, at the party, you know, as you do, and uh, <laughs> because because he was on crutches, having recently fallen off a tramp, trampoline, uh, he wasn't able to run away fast enough. So I asked him about the Xperia Play, and actually that was pretty much his sentiment. He was really quite keen on it. I do have the Play? The uh... so, so th this is the device we're all here to hear about this evening. It is, and uh, I'd love to tell you it was rubbish. I really would, <laughs> but. But uh, I am a bit of a gamer, and I'm a bit too old to be a gamer. And uh, this thing is pretty good for me, I have to say, because I can put it in my pocket, and I'm not carrying a whole PSP, and it kind of, I can play games as much as I want on it. So for me, it's perfect. And obviously Dom and I have stayed in touch after the event, and we're now close personal celebrity friends. But it was interesting that he was straight in there with talking about games. And Rafe, if we sort of step away from... Um, the you know the sort of the technical the, the technical stuff in the box which is is pretty smart you know there's a graphical coprocessor actually this is a great source of revenue for Sony Ericsson isn't it in terms of it's almost like another app store or another music store I think that's absolutely right because combining gaming and mobile makes a lot of sense I mean I was actually very much reminded of Nokia's Engage efforts with this but the difference is the marketing and kind of the brand name the power behind it is obviously much more powerful when you've got something like PlayStation and yes it does provide sort of incremental revenue you've got all the usual Android stuff going on but you can charge a premium for what people perceive as a premium gaming experience and how much and were I would the suspect how much were the Engage games uh, the Engage games came in at about £35, which was perhaps one of the reasons for their failure. And, I mean, they did drop Jeez. down to about £10 down yeah. by the end they could download them. But I suspect we'll be seeing these, these games at a lot less, given that most of them are sunk costs. You know, they've already been developed for other platforms or you know, for the PlayStation itself. So I suspect sort of, that kind of uh, pricing level is going to be a lot more attractive to your average consumer. Yeah, and I asked Dom about this from Sony Ericsson, a different Dom, not Dom Jolly this time, and uh, he was telling me, uh, well, he was telling me about the cost of games. For the games, you're looking probably between about four to seven pounds for the for the full titles. With Android, they'll vary depending on what the game is, but yeah, about seven pounds is the most you could expect to pay. So, Ewan, what do you reckon? Seven pounds is that fair cop for a you know good quality PlayStation mobile game? I think it is. I think people are going to eat it up. Um, I think if you are a serious hardcore gamer, and let's not forget, there are a ton of them, an absolute ton of them. You just have to look at the sales of these kind of um, the, the console devices and the games, uh, the big 30, 40, 50 quid games. Yeah, people do love this thing. And if you can get that on a really nice top spec handset, which is what the Play is, um, I think people will love the fact that A, they don't have to pay you know, <laughs> um, the rather outrageous 50 quid, 49.99 or the like. You know, the, the, we are preconditioned to pay for stuff on phones, which I think is good news. And I think we are also conditioned that, you know, one or two pounds is okay. Four pounds, five pounds for something really good is acceptable. And then seven pounds for a top end, top of the range game. Yeah, let's do it. I think the interesting thing, though, is if you're positioning this, you know, you talk about consoles there, it's really competing with other handhelds and so things like the Nintendo game 
boy or whatever its latest incarnation is and that i can see happening because the pricing works but it's also going to have to compete against all the other gaming on other sort of mobile devices and particularly things like the iphone the ipad but also android and other smartphone devices they all have pretty good gaming credentials now even well, but is like... it the same race i mean i don't i think playstation the brand the playstation brand i think is supersonic compared to an iphone I, I would agree with you for gaming, PlayStation is the brand, but then you look at something like Windows Phone, which is going to have Xbox coming in, and frankly, you know, the iPhone is getting to be known as a gaming platform. You, it's not just things like Angry Birds. People expect that to be one of the things it's good at, um, and there are lots and lots of games available on all the app stores. So in one sense, I think the greatest advantage that this uh, Xperia Play has is in fact its unique hardware with the buttons that are sort of designed for gaming which suddenly make gaming a bit more practical whereas on all the other devices you're kind of limited to touchscreen gaming which if I'm honest doesn't offer quite the same experience as button bashing on a, a dedicated gaming device. And that's a good point actually uh, Rafe because I spoke to Liam Green Hughes who's a, a blogger who was at the event and um, and I asked him you know specifically about that and he was uh, he was also keen on the uh, on the control pad. The thing that really stood out, I think, the most for me was the slide-out control pads. I've tried playing games on a touchscreen, and it's not a great experience. Uh, I've got one game on my phone, and it's really, it's almost unusable, because it's just a touchscreen just doesn't give you that response. It's just, it's just too difficult. So that slide-out gamepad is uh, it's great for playing games. Obviously, it will mean, I suppose, that games will have to be written to take account of that, uh, that control pad, but it, it did make it much more fun. So, key point there actually, um, Liam mentions the, uh, the need to sort of create games specifically for the Xperia device. And this could be a challenge, couldn't it? Because when you're billing something, an Android handset as, you know, with access to the Android marketplace and all the, uh, the, the, the flexibility of an Android device. Mm. Rafe, do you think it's like a, a good idea to really be building games that will then only work on the Xperia variation of um, Android? Well, I think it's has to be done to get the handset work so it has to be a reason to buy this rather than something else but i do think it's a problem simply because you know obviously the addressable market for those games is less and therefore the kind of impetus for any developer to you know develop a specialized game is going to be much less um so i think it's you know as with a lot of these things it's an advantage but it's also i think a fairly significant disadvantage so they're going to have to do a series of these phones for it to really work because you yeah. and i i asked um i asked dom from Sony Ericsson about that sort of why would people buy Xperia games rather than um, rather than just games out the Android marketplace because of course you can still buy all the regular Android games and play them on this device even though the hardware is quite nice Um, and um, I mean well let's listen to what he said and then I'd be interested to get your take your take on that I think generally uh, with Android games they tend to be a little bit more throwaway so when you look at things like Angry Birds which is a huge success um, it's a great game but it's limited to one screen with this you're getting a full console gaming experience so if you look at some of the titles like FIFA 2010 you'd be hard-pressed to to find uh, an experience better than that anywhere else I think yes well I think he's I think he's right in one sense but the the problem I have is what's after that. So FIFA 2010, brilliant, cool. I've played it now. What's the next one? Um, and so this is where um, Sony really need to. Well, whoever they're they're, they're working with, they really need to make sure that uh, all the titles that I would expect as a serious gamer, right? I have a PlayStation at home or an Xbox. But you know, I, I when when a new game comes out, I'm expecting to see that 
on the Android store, on the Xperia store, somewhere, so I can get access to it quickly. So I think it's okay now. You go and buy it, you download it, uh, sorry, you get the handset, you see the games, you play them, that's great. But what, what what's happening next month? And it needs to be a good range because that's going to really annoy uh, some consumers or any hardcore gamer, I reckon, will be really annoyed to, to see that next month or the month after games are new games are not appearing uh, for the PlayStation certified device. And you, and you use the uh, term serious gamer or hardcore gamer there, and I think that's the kind of core of the problem. Uh, most people who have a mobile device and play games on it are sort of casual gamers, and that's where mobile's been so successful. And is it really a big enough audience who are seriously into games that will download and play these Xperia games? I think there may not be enough of a crossover between that type of sort of gamer on a mobile device and those buying this particular handset for it to really fly, and I think that's the, the big problem that the Xperia faces. I mean, most people are quite happy with the, you know, the one dollar or the three dollar Angry Birds game or a casual game that you know actually sometimes can keep them happy for hours. The very nature of gaming on a phone tends to be in you know at most five minutes, sometimes fifteen minutes, but certainly not the two or three hours that people are used to playing on kind of even handheld console games. There's been a bunch of com- uh, commentary this week around Nintendo, for example, about would they do a Wii phone because you know Sony. I'd say Sony's success and visibility for the Xperia so far has been entirely sort of self-made, hasn't it? You know, they've just they've got the eyeballs because they're spending the money. This you know, the device hasn't been proven a success yet, um, although you know it's got some reasonably reasonable feedback as far as I can see. But Rafe, what do you reckon? I mean, do, are other manufacturers now just going to see mobile devices eat their lunch, or are we still going to see portable game, you know, dedicated portable gaming systems? If, if you'd asked me this a couple of years ago, I'd have said that converged devices are going to eat everything and that everyone will just end up with a single device. But the more I've thought about it, the more things have developed over the years, the more I'm convinced that actually you'll end up with multiple device, you know, households or owners, simply because that's the way you get the best possible user experience. And the Xperia player, I think, is quite a good example of this. I think, it, you know, there is a demand for this kind of thing, but ultimately you still get a better gaming experience with some of the things that Ewan was talking about in terms of recent games if you get the, the you know, the dedicated, the, hand, the standalone gaming experience. And Nintendo, I think, will pursue that avenue rather than anything else. But you can look at other things that have eaten converged devices. And uh, the one I've been looking at recently is eBooks, for example. Yes, you can do that on the iPhone and Android devices with Kindle. But the best reading experience you get from a standalone Kindle device, and I think the same is actually true of cameras as well, and almost anything else you can think of. Maybe the exception to this is the really simple stuff like music, which probably still works you know, the gap between standalone and combining into a device is much smaller. And I think that's the critical question with this combining everything into one. How, how big a difference is the user experience between a converged device and a standalone device? And that sort of dictates success or not, as it might be. And Ewan, I, it struck me that we keep on talking about all these converged devices, but we only ever talk about like one type of convergence, don't we? We talk about phone and game or phone and camera or phone and music. And maybe the iPhone does kind of passable music and gaming if you put up with the touch screen but eventually consumers are not going to be you know happy with just choosing between whether they want to play games or take pictures or listen to music with their phones they're going to want it to do all at that kind of top quality aren't they and that's going to make it a very expensive device in your pocket i think you're absolutely right and this is the the, the dilemma and, and the the question the market's having to face do you put out uh, an 800 pound mobile handset you know, that does everything, or almost, because Rafe's entirely right, if it's going to do everything, it's got to be super amazing. It can't be okay. I'll, I'll give you an example. I, um, 
I have a virtually unlimited budget. Okay, well, you know, I, I will pay a lot of money for a mobile <laughs> he said, phone. He, okay? he, he but, said modestly. Well, no, what, what I mean is, I, you know, another guy might say, I'll only pay £400 for a phone. Me, yeah. I'd pay £1,000, right? Or more if it, would, if it did everything. So I still carry a Blackberry and an iPhone. All right, you know, and, and the iPhone, I like the touch experience, that's lovely, but I need a keyboard. I just do. I just need a keyboard and I want a device that, um, that does messaging really, really well. This is my, my, my problem. So can you put them together? I don't know if you can. And uh, Rafe, what's your viewpoint? Well, I, my viewpoint on this is actually about the hardware differentiation because you can do everything in software equally on all devices, but there's still an inherent limitation. And that's A, the physical size of the device, and B, the fact there's a human interacting with it. And so you were talking about the keyboard there. That's a good example. Some people need a keyboard because that's what they want to do because messaging maybe is their priority. For others, you know, gaming is the most important thing, and so they want the gaming controls. But it's just not possible to fit both of those into the same device. You know, you are constrained by the limits of you know, the physical size of the device. And so for, for me, these, this convergence into specialist areas becomes more about hardware differentiation and not about the software differentiation. I think you'll, you get a lot of the manufacturers recognising this in the fact they try and keep the same software across all devices. So, you know, that cuts down on development costs there, but they are differentiating on the hardware. And so, you know, you see, you know, these kind of custom devices come out for gaming, for camera, for whatever it might be. And actually, I do think that matches the kind of the user what they want as well some people do want everything and i think there's a market for those kind of super phones but a lot of people are focused more on one area than another you know they define themselves as a someone who takes photographs so they want a you know a photo focused smartphone or they're a gamer and they want gaming focused and i think there's a big addressable market there for each of those individual segments but uh, it doesn't really answer the question for those of us who you know really want to do everything on the device and want a super phone and without breaking the laws of physics i'm not sure it's possible and uh, to just to, to step back from getting a little bit nerdtastic now, because you know we we are um, you know we, we're getting pretty uh, pretty excited with ourselves about um, you know oh it's going to be games it's going to be cameras all this kind of stuff um, might be worth actually I I, I asked Dom Jolly um, well, what did he want from a phone and it's really actually it was really telling uh, sort of the stuff that the the priority order that he uh, that he gave. It's funny in the old days what I really wanted was a video phone like a phone that genuinely worked properly. And then Skype came in, and I love Skype. Like, when I'm away, I can talk to my kids, and I'm still waiting for a catch that it doesn't cost. Yeah. But actually, I do like FaceTime. That works. But I kind of want a phone where I can play the best video games and also do perfect video calls. I think we're a, a bit of a way off, but we're nearly there, you know. So, you know, I like this one. I think this one's good. The, the, the play is good. And have you made any video calls in public? Do you get like weird look people sort of, you know, not just not just ogling you because you're a celebrity because that strange man's talking in his phone? Well, no, I have a problem because I'm me and everyone like says, oh, it's the bloke with the mobile phone. So hey, I had to think straight up, do I have a normal mobile phone ring or do I put the na 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 like ironically? And then I'm always aware that if I talk loudly on a mobile phone, I'm going to be called out. So I'm always, I'm a very good mobile phone user. I'm quite subtle. And so when I'm talking to the guys from Nokia next week, I can tell them that you're available for commissions, can I? No, you can tell them that there's a, a legal fee coming in for about 10 years of free publicity, and they owe me big. So uh, uh, Dom, Dom Jolly's wallet aside, <laughs> he's clear, clearly uh, clearly got a beef with the Nokia guys. Um, it was interesting that after that I spoke to him and I said, oh, you know, you see that list? It was, it was all about... Um, 
it was all about you know video and it was all about games and stuff for your priorities you know i, I bet you don't bother talking to people on the phone anymore and it's like, oh no 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 that's so obvious i don't even mention that now <laughs> if if the phone won't you know i spend all day talking on my phone if it won't um make calls then i'm not interested in it at all so actually going back to rafe's point about form factor we're always going to be phone first aren't we rafe I think so. For the majority of people, you know, phone, that kind of communication thing is always going to be the single most important thing. And that actually also says to me, one of the most important things is the infrastructure on the back end. If you can't get a signal, then there's no point continuing the discussion. And uh, actually, well, uh, like I say, we, we, we veered a little bit off topic. But since you mentioned uh, reception and, uh, and networks, Rafe, let's just uh, let's just hear what Dom Jolly had to say about it. I'm, I mean, you know, for someone who's unfortunately famous for shouting hello into a big mobile, so everyone always attracts me for mobile phones, I don't get any reception where I live, which is even more ironic when I do a lot of travel now. You know, and I was in Iran, I've been in Afghanistan, I was in the Congo, no problem at all. In the Cotswolds, not a sausage. So whoever, you know, frankly, however good any mobile phone device is, if someone can invent something that just allows me to use my mobile at home, I'm there. And, and who do you blame for all this then? I blame planning committees, and specifically in my case, I think it's the Sirencester Planning Committee who won't allow any mobile phone master. I know people have got a big down on Colonel Gaddafi and stuff at the moment, but right now, it's probably not right to say, but the head of the Cotswold Planning Committee is way more evil than Colonel Gaddafi. So, so when the revolution reaches the Cotswolds, he'll be up first up against the wall, will he? When the revolution hits the Cotswolds, first thing that will happen is the whole council up against the wall. Second thing will be a huge mobile phone mast. Not too near my house, but near enough for my mobile to work. So I think we've maybe, we, we've veered a little bit away from serious mobile analysis, but it, it was it was really interesting because he had this, I mean, he, he Sony Ericsson had given him this play device to be testing out before the event, and he... I mean, I, he was there sort of uh, as a guest, but I mean, he was really genuinely excited about that device. It really suited him and his usage. So I didn't, I don't think that was bought enthusiasm at all. But he was also hugely frustrated because half the time he had to walk down his drive to actually make a call on it. So, you know, perhaps, you know, there will always be life for devices outside of phones that you know aren't so dependent on that kind of 3G signal or on battery life needing to support all these functions. Ewan. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the the problem, the NIMBY thing, not in my backyard. And he, you know, I think he was, he's obviously being slightly humorous there by saying, "I want a big phone mast nearby, <laughs> yeah, but, not, but not too near. Not, yeah, not not next to his house." Yeah. This is the the issue. I mean, uh, I do a lot of work in in uh, Richmond, right on top of Richmond Station, um, just by the Thames there, and uh, there's no Vodafone signal, uh, next to none, and it's not Vodafone. Yeah, not wanting to deliver. It's literally no one will allow them to put a a, a phone mast to deliver a service to me. Uh, so that is a real, real issue. So I think you're absolutely right about having a um, uh, a series of devices that don't rely on uh, on three G. Because I think, unfortunately, in 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 our country, in the United Kingdom, I think that's uh, ubiqu- utterly ubiquitous coverage is quite a long way away. So, so Rafe, if we're trying to, you know, step back and draw out some theme conclusion from the, you know, the last sort of twenty minutes or so of conversation, I guess it's to me it feels like 
there's a load of good ideas there's a load of exciting devices including you know the play if you're a if you're a gamer and you want to be on android but actually all of this is still just manufacturers dipping their toes in the water you know there's no guarantee that any of these kind of devices that are getting attention are going to be you know go on to have second and third generation lifespans yes i think that's right it you know we talk about the maturity and the fact that you know smartphones are everywhere but really, it is just the so just the beginning, and I sometimes think that you know this specialisation is really just a way to sell devices to stand out in the marketing, uh, you know, and the positioning of the device. And that's not an unreasonable thing to do from a business point of view, but it doesn't necessarily serve the interests of the consumers. So, if I'm looking at a smartphone from a consumer perspective, I'd actually my first and immediate advice would be decide what the most important stuff is for you now and make your purchase decision based on that. And some of these specializations, particularly around camera and gaming, where they require additional software, and I think that probably applies more to gaming, you just you know, have a little bit of thought before you take the plunge, because it may not be as optimum as you, you think it will be. And uh, I, I think that the differences in people's priorities and uh, needs were sort of summed up actually interesting. I talked to Rob Kerr from One Mobile Ring and he was quite he had quite a different view on uh, games and he was sort of um, a little bit down on the on the relatively high cost of the Xperia games. It probably could be, yeah, it could detract but there is the, the ability, no one's mentioned yet, if the PlayStation 1 suite uh, will be available for other Android devices because the power's the same, the chipset's the same on money at many other uh, different manufactured handsets. At that point in time, if this made available as an emulator or as a way of playing PlayStation games or devices from uh, the likes of Samsung, uh, the likes of HTC, then they can start to corner the market within that. Okay, so terrible audio. Apologies, but um, Ewan, um, you know, if we're going to see a, a longer life for these devices, do manufacturers need to stop creating these little silos and and branch out? Yeah, I think Rob is, is absolutely right there. I mean, uh, I, I was taken with the fact that there is a little button, a, lo a blue button, uh, sorry, an image button next to uh, the Sony Ericsson uh, Xperia Play. Whenever you see it, there'll be a little blue logo saying PlayStation Certified. Uh, now, that's quite exciting. Will we ever see an HTC PlayStation Certified device? Um, I wonder. It could be, a, as, as Rob says, I like his point, it could be a really effective way of, uh, of controlling the market. Because if, if every Android handset was PlayStation certified, uh, I, I sure that might annoy uh, these HTC, Samsung and so on. But I think it would really help uh, if, if they had a back catalogue of hundreds of thousands, of, uh, hundreds of games. It could be very compelling. Okay. The problem with HTC... Sorry, Ref, go on. Uh, the problem with HTC specifically, they do have their own gaming strategy, which is going to be sort of streaming games, which is quite interesting in itself. But I think the problem with any of that kind of idea of PlayStation certified going further, it kind of represents a crown jewel for Sony and Sony Ericsson. And so, yes, I think it would be a great idea. I think in practice, it just wouldn't happen yeah. because, you know, and that's actually been the problem with a lot of services on mobile in general. It's very difficult for them to gain traction where you've got so many different people producing mobile phones, so many companies. And for a service to dominate, it really needs to get across all of the uh, phones, all the different manufacturers. And I'm, I can't really think of a single service that has yet to really achieve that. So in a sentence, guys, to wrap up, Ray, first, do these specialist niche devices we're seeing now matter? Are they going to influence the direction of mobile technology in the future? Or are these just a flash in the pan? 
yes, they are going to affect it because of the impact they have on the marketing and the positioning of devices. Ewan? And then, well, yes, I, I think so. The, the issue I've got is what happens next year or uh, in 18 months once your contract's up. You know, do you have an Xperia Play 2, 3 or 4? Or does Sony Ericsson say, do you know what, that didn't work very well for us, sorry. And, and, and as I can hear the bombers slowly circling uh, circling Ewan's house, I think it's probably time to wrap up. So, guys, thank you very much. Um, if you have been listening, thank you very much for sticking with us all the way through. We hope you enjoyed this. Uh, we'll have, um, well, podcast number two comes from uh, Sunny Climbs in Cannes next week, where we were at the uh, Creative Connectivity event. No, Connected Creativity event, nice. Ewan. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, connected creativity at MIP TV. Nice. I, I, I enjoyed the champagne so much, the uh, the memories of Haiti. So we'll be talking to you live from the beach in Cannes and uh, all, all about the, some, some media type stuff that we saw. So thanks very much for listening and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, feedback, welcome in all the usual places. Uh, post a comment wherever you hear this podcast and we'll collect them together and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be reading and responding to them as actively as we can. So thank you very much. 